you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. And right now on Fast, Netflix popping after crushing expectations, beating the street on the top line, the bottom line, and on subscriber ad shares up nearly 15%. iPhone overload? Well, a new report that Apple may be cutting production for the iPhone 14 Plus just two weeks after it launched. Shares shrugging it off. We're going to dig in. And later on, Salesforce jumping on an activist push. Amazon's bringing football to Black Friday and Tesla investors getting all jacked up ahead of earnings. Hello, everybody. I am Brian. And once again, for Melissa, thanks for joining us here on Fast Money Live from just beautiful bucolic Times Square in New York at the NASDAQ market site. On your desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Guy Adami, we've got Dan Nathan out in San Francisco, and Julie Beal. Julie, welcome. All right, we have got a big show for you. We are going to start right here on that big pop for Netflix. Shares of the streaming company jumping after earnings. The company surpassing expectations on revenue operating income, subscriber ads. Let's dig into the quarter a little bit more. Julia Borston is here to break it all down. By any measure, it was a big quarter, Julia. A big quarter indeed, and that's right. Netflix beating on the top and bottom line. But what's most important for that stock going up nearly 14% right now is that the company added far more subscribers than expected. 2.4 million compared to the 1 million the company guided to for the third quarter. And for the fourth quarter, it's guiding to the addition of 4.5 million subscribers. That's half a million more than analysts anticipated. Now, Netflix saying that the growth won't be due to that lower cost ad supported service, saying, quote, while we're very optimistic about our new advertising business, we don't expect a material contribution in Q4 2022. We anticipate growing our membership in this ad-supported plan gradually over time. That's in the letter to shareholders. Netflix saying that the growth is coming from its content, such as its non-English programming, as well as its original films, plus innovative marketing, all yielding what Netflix says is higher engagement than any other streamer has, saying they account for 7.6 percent of TV time in the U.S. They also note that growth is coming from overseas. The most Q3 subscriber editions were in the Asia-Pacific region. The smallest editions were in the U.S. and Canada. And starting next quarter, Netflix will no longer give forward subscriber guidance as it tries to shift focus away from subscriber metrics. Instead, focusing now on revenue with their diversification thanks to advertising and paid sharing. Brian? All right, Julia, thank you very much. Let's trade it, Guy Adami. I mean, listen, I'm not going to take away from a 14% gain after hours, mm-hmm. but this stock is down 400 bucks mm. in a year. Even with the move to current levels. It's an excellent Great to have you here, by the way, Brian. The three of us together here last night. You were upset about this, too. I mean, you really, he's, no, he's fired up about Netflix, guy. Get in there. There's a lot you of emotions. Last night, I went after the Fed. Let's go after Netflix. No, I'm not going to go after Netflix. I love Reed. Listen, I know he happens to watch the show, and we've said he's a genius a number of times, and he continues to pull a rabbit out of the hat. We have mentioned that gaps in the chart on the upside that need to be filled. Those gaps get filled up to $300. We've also mentioned since the spring, it was the first time 
literally since the inception as a publicly traded company that you can make a cogent argument for Netflix on valuation. And to a certain extent, you probably still can't hear. But now I think this rally gets long in the tooth. I do think it has legs, maybe another 10%-ish from here. Mm. But then you pull the ripcord, Brian Sullivan. All right, well, Tim, right before the show started, you kind of mumbled to me. You're like, finally, they did something. Well, yeah, and as someone that's been long the stock and bought it after the first down quarter, but not the second down quarter, I'm still down. But I heard a couple things that are encouraging. I also heard something that's emblematic of what we're going to hear in this quarter. First of all, they talked about FX. Uh, they said a 13% year-over-year hit. They said it's going to be about a billion dollars. But I heard about free cash flow, and I heard about you know about a billion in free cash flow this year, and they expect significantly more next year. So when you add that into at least a revenue model that obviously is changing, and they're going to continue to give us more insight into that, we got some insight into the password sharing, and I think this is uh, part of the strategic plan. We have at least some idea on how they're going to begin to try to monetize, and I don't think that most analysts have even priced that in. So um, not expensive, certainly relative to itself, but I don't think expensive relative to the upside here in terms of where they're giving you growth. We, we talked, Julie, about this on the one o'clock show today about the idea that you're a paying subscriber. Now you got the free thing with the ads. You wonder, are people going to actually trade down? Are they going to almost cannibalize themselves by people dumping their monthly subscription and just going to the ad-supported tier? And if so, will that be able to make up for the subscription loss? Yeah, I think that's the concern that I have is just the level of cannibalization. We've all gotten incrementally more and more comfortable with ads when we watch online before we wouldn't accept it. And now it's becoming a little bit more of an accepted thing. What I'm really concerned about is that if they have leakage coming out that way, wouldn't it make more sense to just try to control the, you know, the people, the 41% of their subscribers that are just borrowing someone's login, like I certainly hope my husband isn't doing? It's just like it's important to think about what the core drivers of this business are. And the thing is, is that this business has never been more competitive than it is today. Content is extremely expensive. We as consumers benefit from that. We pay nothing for the level of high quality programming that they deliver to us. And I think it's really important to bear in mind that the economics of this business still really matter, particularly if you have customers trading down. Yeah, and it is $6.99 a month, by the way. Premium at 19 the middle level's at fifteen ninety nine, I think, and then whatever the, uh, the basic is nine ninety nine. Dan, your take on Netflix quarter? Your take on Netflix the stock? Yeah, no, I think the good news is that they rolled out this ad supported tier prior to them really focused on the, the password sharing issue, right? So you can see a path forward. You talked about cannibalization, but really capturing a bunch of those non, uh, you know, payers, uh, you know, on, on multifamily accounts. I think, you know, again, we're just not going to know. And, you know, to Julie's point about the content, the expense of it, the competition, I mean, that's one of the reasons why this has been one of the most volatile stocks that we've seen over the last 10 years in the S&P 500, right? Because because there have been peaks and troughs as it relates to, you know, churn and the content slate. And so that doesn't get easier from here. I guess the good news for the stock, and I think Guy is correct, you know, maybe you fill in that gap from the spring here. But at that point, you have a significant move off of the bottom. You might see plenty of analysts who've been off sides. There's, I think per fact set, there's like 16 or 17 analysts who rate the stock a buy, 27 or so that rated a hold, and six sells. So you'll see some upgrades. You'll see some people say, 
okay, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel here. But again, I don't think the company is out of the woods. And I think there's going to be plenty of volatility in those subscriber numbers, whether they report them or not. I think a lot of these analysts have probably gotten pretty good at figuring out how to back into them. Okay, let's bring in another voice, Rich Greenfield of Lightshed Partners, who put out some tweet with a gif of like a skeleton hand coming out of a grave. Mm. Streaming is alive. What the heck did you mean by that, Rich? Well, I think the market has essentially assumed that after the slowdown at Netflix, some of the challenges that have faced Disney's, you know, subscriber ads and other companies, they essentially assumed this category was dead and they've sort of moved on that this business, I've heard so many people say, oh, this is a business that's matured, 200 plus million subs, that's the top, that's it. And I think what we are clearly seeing uh, tonight is that investors are shifting back to, oh my God, there actually is growth here. More of it may, there may be more revenue growth than just purely subscriber growth over the course of the next couple of years. But there is healthy growth ahead. I think if you look forward to next year, now you can start to paint a picture why Netflix can grow revenue in the low to mid-teens, which I don't think a couple of months ago people really thought was possible. And I think that's where it gets very exciting is thinking about 2023 and 2024. And the company just seems energized. You read the letter today and they're coming out swinging, like attacking, like yeah. binging makes sense. Theaters is not the right strategy. Like they're on the offensive for the first time in but probably how, six rich, to nine months. Rich, they've got some hit shows. And I just, and I'm, first off, the stock's down 400 bucks a share from its peak of last year. So let's not paint it as everything sure. is all fantastic. They've got Dahmer and they've got The Watcher. They've got some shows that are getting a lot of buzz. And this stock seems to come and go based on consumer trends around a show. If they have a bust in six months, then what's going to happen? How sustainable, I guess, is the momentum is the question. Because it seems to rise and fall based on just, is anybody talking about a specific show or not? Well, I think the cadence of big, successful shows is certainly increasing. If you look at the last few months, there has certainly been more consistent success than there was in the six months prior. So I think that's part of the reason. I also think there's starting to be a pullback, like you're starting to see retrenchment from others. <laughs> I don't think the, the, the aggressive level of spending and marketing You've got companies that are losing two to three billion dollars trying to compete with Netflix. And I think a lot of them are starting to think of like, is this the best strategy? Can you win in streaming? And if they can't, maybe they should go back and be more arms dealers. And I think each of them, a lot of the major media companies are starting to think that. And so part of this is I think competition may lessen a little bit as you move into 2023. That's going to be another catalyst. But again, Brian, the thing I would focus on is overall time spent. If you think about connected TVs, Netflix represents almost 30% of time spent on a connected TV. YouTube is in the low 20s. Nobody else is even close. So, yes, the big high profile hits come and go, but the overall amount of engagement dwarfs everybody else. So, so Rich, it's Tim, and we don't need to discuss the secular reasons behind streaming. And so I agree. And suddenly we have to defend that. No way. But but and you talk about the engagement. What can Netflix do to monetize? I, I've read your notes. And, and part of this is for someone with this kind of engagement. How do they get their ARPU up? That to me really is the story right now. Look, there's 20 to 30 million people. They'll say 30. But let's just say there's 20 million people who have Netflix every single day and use it every day and don't pay for it because they're mooching off of somebody else. That's going to start to get monetized either through people paying for password shares yep. and or through shifting people to ad plans. And 
I don't, you know, I was listening to you earlier on the show. I don't think you're going to see a lot of cannibalization dropping down from 1699 or 1599, where you have multiple accounts and the ability to download and no ads, dropping down to 699, where you have one stream, non HD, not even all the programming. I think that's going to be a very tough sell in terms of the downgrade. I don't think there's a lot of downgrade risk. I think this is about opening up the market for the people that are not Netflix subscribers right now or are not yeah. their own Netflix subscribers and they're mooching off of somebody else. And then not just in the U.S., it's also a really big issue in Latin America where the password sharing is actually more rampant than it is in the U.S. They have huge password sharing outside the U.S. Yeah, I do I do wonder with that 720p, and I'm talking about, you know, sort of the the – the way that it's broadcast, they seem to be going down market with that ad tier. Because if you've got a 65-inch flat panel, you don't want to watch 720. Everything's going to look like Tecmo Bowl. Sure, but Brian, remember, they're at 67 million U.S. members. So think about the households from 67 to 100 plus. How do you get there? What does that home look like? You know, some of the people are clearly sharing, but there's certainly a group of those homes that are lower income can afford yeah. it, but can't afford $9.99 or can't afford $16.99. So I think part of this is opening up more of the market. I think the single biggest thing that investors are not paying attention to and should who are watching your show right now, Netflix is going to start an ad campaign in two weeks. They're going to market Netflix is at a lower price than it's ever been in its history. You've never seen Netflix streaming at $6.99. They're going to be the first ever price-based ad campaign for Netflix starting in November for the new ad service. They're clearly going after yeah. a lower-end demographic that has never been a Netflix sub consistently in the past. Well, we'll see if it works. Rich Greenfield, Lightshed Partners. Rich, thank you very much. Thanks Dan, are you concerned me. at all about the fact that they're not going to – this was the last quarter, I think, that they're going to provide any update on paying subscribers. Kind of tucked in there, Julia Borston mentioned it, that they're going to focus on revenue we may not ever hear again about subscriber numbers. That yeah, really? and that, that's probably not a bad thing. I, I think it might decrease the sort of volatility that we see around quarters. We just talked about how volatile this stock has been from year to year over the last, I don't know, as long as we've been covering it. So that might be a good thing, getting investors a bit more comfortable with, um, you know, just some different metrics that l lend themselves to less volatility. You know, when I, when I listen to Rich talk about that, and you talk about if he's not that worried about cannibalization, he thinks that the potential to kind of onboard a bunch of new subscribers at the low lowest price point. That makes sense to me. And it also makes sense that if you get this patchwork sharing thing under control, that maybe that does help margins. But it also leads me to believe that maybe these guys want to compete on their platform. They want to broaden out horizontally. I think about a company like Spotify. I don't own it, but I've really thought about kicking the tires and thinking about potential strategic M&A. It's a $15 billion enterprise company that has 25% gross margins, where a Netflix has 40. Now, I get it. They lose money on huh. a gap basis, and that would be dilutive. But that is how I would look to broaden this out and really kind of like ramp margins on an adjacent product and, and just have a better offering in general. And you kind of muddle the numbers, too, with a deal. It gives you a couple of years of maybe some runway. Tim, comment on Netflix before we swap to Apple? Well, I, again, I just think they haven't even begun to monetize the password sharing. Rich got to that. I think you, you lower the bar here. I don't believe in cannibalism. I also believe there was a long time we talked about their, their content. Uh, if anything, I think the content will win out, and I think this is why the stock goes higher. Okay. I referenced Apple. Let's move on. Shares of Apple did claw back some losses earlier in the session after a report that the company is cutting production of the highest-end version of its newest phone the iPhone 14 Plus. That move coming less than two weeks after that 14 Plus went on sale. 
Now, the stock did fall more than a percent on that news, but it did manage in the green. Let's get more details before we trade it with Steve Kovac. Steve, what do we know? What do we don't know? Yeah. So, yeah, there was that healthy drop this afternoon, Brian. It was off of this information report that said Apple was cutting production of its iPhone 14 Plus. That's that bigger screen model that came out about a week and a half ago. And look, Brian, there was immediate pushback on this report with some noting it only says one supplier was told to stop making parts for the 14 Plus. And look, there's a huge global supply chain. Apple's supply chain is far more massive than just one supplier. So it's difficult to buy this report if that means there's a full pause in production. By the way, Jordan Klein, an analyst uh, from the desk at Mizuho, throwing cold water on the report shortly after it came out saying, quote, this article sounds more like a joke to me to catch clicks and eyeballs. Now, we hear similar uh, reports about the iPhone 14 since it launched back in September, saying there's a lack of, quote, extra demand for the iPhone. However, most analysts predict Apple can keep unit sales flat this quarter at about 90 million and still show revenue growth for the iPhone segment thanks to strength of demand for those more expensive pro models, similar to what Netflix is planning to do but out reporting subscribers. iPhone needs to be strong, by the way, Brian, because amid evidence that the App Store sales could be down for the quarter, and plus all those headwinds and warnings about demand for computers and tablets falling off a cliff. And by the way, we're going to get some real data when earnings are happening next Thursday. And we'll get our first peak in iPhone demand for the first few weeks of sales. By the way, Brian, Apple declined to comment on that report. Yeah, and you, listen, there seems to be no substance to this. And we heard something similar a couple of weeks ago yeah. that didn't have any substance either. And then you start to wonder, are people sort of floating these stories out there to take advantage of moves in the markets? I'm not suggesting that. It's just something we should exa- examine because clearly you saw a huge move in the market on the back of that news and subsequent rally back. And so we hear from Apple, I believe, on the 27th. I mean, all this stuff to me is just noise. With that said, the environment that we find ourselves in, we might see a slowdown in Apple and a slowdown in demand, but that has not been proven yet. Yeah, Julie, your take. I mean, listen, the information, which is the name of the company, it's a paid service where it came from. They do some great tech reporting. So let's assume the news is true. Let's let's say it is true. Does that change your view or change our viewers and listeners' views on Apple? I don't think it necessarily should. I I don't think anyone should be surprised that demand for the highest end phone is going to be a little bit softer given the consumer backdrop being increasingly challenging, particularly with inflation. So I don't think it should change anyone's long-term point of view. I think it's possible, though, that we are seeing a setup where holiday at Apple is not really as good as it could be. I think everyone has already gotten their new laptops, their new iPads, their new iPhones. It's, you know, we're starting to get a little long in the tooth on just a global IT upgrade cycle. So I worry about that longer term. You know, but at the end of the day, I, I think this business is one that's really about it managing its own supply chain. I can't think of anyone who has a more complex supply chain than that of Apple. And so I think that that understanding how that kind of flows through the numbers is critical to understanding the business long term. Yep. All right. And by the way, the, the 512 gigabyte, 1100 bucks. Yeah. All right. On deck. Salesforce takes off. One big hedge fund jumping into the stock. Should you? The CRM trade ahead. But first, another earnings alert coming your way. United Airlines and J.B. Hunt both on the move after reporting their numbers. We're going to dig into both of those transports next. Stick around. More fast money. Two minutes.
Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. All right, welcome back. We've got an earnings alert on United Airlines. They are beating on both the top and the bottom line, the strongest results in three years. They got record revenue. Shares of United, by the way, are higher as well. Who here has got a trade, Tim, well, on United? I, 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 to me, it's Delta over United, but, but let's listen to United and say that their operating margin is going to exceed their peak 2019. They're going to tell you that uh, their, their EBITDA margin of 11.3 is a major recovery. So when I hear about demand and I hear the dynamics that people are worried about with the airlines, the biggest issue for airlines have been operational and logistics, uh, et, et cetera, et cetera. It's not been necessarily their ability to have higher prices, and we learned that with that CPI number. So uh, they're not all built the same. The balance yep. sheets are not all built the same. We talk talked about that. If you look at enterprise value for a lot of these airlines, um, Delta is the most attractive. Dan, I'm assuming you did not walk to San Francisco considering you were here last night. My guess is you flew. My guess is the plane was packed. My guess is the airport was packed. Yeah. You know, the one takeaway I'd say, Sully, is interesting that I saw in these results out of United is that they're cutting their CapEx by about 10 percent, right? So they're beating earnings here. They're running their businesses better. And in a difficult environment, maybe from, um, you know, an input cost standpoint, difficult, maybe the demand is there. But when you see that sort of CapEx cut in, in a robust environment where they're guiding up, it tells me that maybe they're managing to get there a little bit, too. All right. Let's move on to another transport name. A little bit different. This is J.B. Hunt, a trucking company. They're also out with their earnings after the bell. And like United, they beat on both the top and the bottom lines. We don't talk a lot about trucking companies on Fast Money very much, Julie. I mean, but many of these have been quiet moneymakers over the last couple of years. Do you have a take on J.B.H.T.? Yeah, I think it was actually a little bit more positive results than I was expecting. I look at the transport companies as being an early canary in the coal mine, particularly with all the supply chain challenges that we've been having, because typically when they're reporting good business, it means there's good sell through for retail. So I like to take a look at these. And, you know, I think generally the results were pretty good. Their intermodal business is really the one to pay attention to. And I think the biggest challenge that all of these trucking companies have had is that normally they like to keep their fleets really young and they haven't been able to get new trucks. And so that's an important part is understanding how their CapEx is going to play out if they have to catch up. 
Yeah, you know, Guy, listen, truckers have not been sexy since the 1978 Ali McGraw classic convoy with mm. Chris Christopherson. DJ and the Bear? Yeah. Ah, it's, it's Smokey and the Bandit? Yeah. Keep going. By the way, Alan McGraw was... But by the way, the stock has nearly doubled. That's pretty cool. It's tremendous. J.B. Hunt, by the way, on valuation, you can make a very compelling argument. Trading at a market multiple should be trading higher, in my opinion. And Julie's right to point out intermodal, which continues to grow in this environment. That's all good signs. I think the all-time high for the stock was 218. And it did not, the sell-off we saw in this name, although drastic, was not nearly commensurate to the broader market. It's hung in there, is my point. And I think it actually can go higher from these levels. And that's the first time in the history of Fast Money that we've ever mentioned Alan McGraw. And that's a shame, to be honest with you. Won't be the last. Not if they keep sending me here. probably watching right now. By the way, it was an $87 stock four years ago, $170 stock today. Not a bad moneymaker for a trucking company. All right. There is a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's up after the break. One activist investor taking a stake in Salesforce. Does he have his head in the clouds or is this stock set to soar? Those details and the trade next and later. Tesla earnings on deck. Shares losing energy this month. What can recharge this name? We hit the options pits for that. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Look at that, shares of sales, or listen to this, sales of sharesforce.com, up 4%. This after hedge fund Starboard Value Partners revealed a, quote, significant stake in the cloud computing company. Starboard founder Jeff Smith telling CNBC's David Favor this morning he believes Salesforce is cheap right now, and then he wants to be a long-term investor in the name. Starboard also revealed a new stake in Splunk, betting that the software company could be a takeover target as well. Splunk shares popping about 3% in today's session. Tim Seymour, Salesforce. I'm a little surprised. Starboard is a big company. Salesforce is a very big company to be trying to take a little activist stake in. Well, it, it, but part of this is just uh, putting pressure and, and, and jostling a little bit. They don't like the business mix. They don't like the margin. They think they should be growing more than 20%. And this is an environment where this company's had enormous growth. By the way, Salesforce has also been growing through acquisition. And at some point, that becomes a little difficult. Talk to Oracle, uh, even though successfully done. So it gets back to a place where you look at companies like this, and in this, certainly in the software space, the multiples were not things we were comfortable with six months ago, certainly not a year ago. And the question is, do you want to pay them here? Uh, I think in Salesforce, you start to want to own this thing. Dan, Nathan, your take on CRM? Yeah, I, I do think it's interesting. I think our, our, our viewers should know that when you see Starboard, they said long term, they're not trying to shake up the management ranks. I think the co-CEOs and Benioff and Brett Taylor are considered two of the best in tech. It really is getting them to think about how differently other than acquisition to kind of grow that business. And again, they're going to take a long term approach to this. I just say this. It feels like and, and I got to tell you, up four and a half percent on that news, down 50 percent on the year was not particularly impressive. That Splunk up 3%, not impressive. So to me, I look at CRM's estimates for next year, fiscal 2024, expected mm. EPS growth of 20% on 15% sales growth. And I say, you know what? There's probably another downgrade to that guidance. Mm. I think you're going to have an opportunity to buy this thing lower, in my opinion. Julie, the stock is $50 under its 50-day moving average, to Dan's point. I mean, the weakness even relative to the macro market in, in nine months, 
has been, I mean, overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, if you look at this business writ large, it barely, barely occupies the space it's in. It's, it's. You should think, looking at it, if I described it to you, that this would be producing incredible levels of profitability, and it's pretty mediocre. And so then it becomes a question of how is this business allocating its capital because it's really not meeting its potential. It's worse than I was in high school, honestly. No one has underperformed like that. And I think long term, you have to be wondering if this is just a business that's going to grow through acquisition, why should I own that? I'm perfectly competent at diversifying my portfolio. I don't need a company to do that. Making those synergies actually work is, is critical. The, line, the one-liners out of Julie Beal with a straight face, that tremendous. I mean, tremendous effort right there. Didn't, you didn't give her any salute? I, mean, I, I, am, I just did. I just literally, if, the, if you're driving home, you're on the radio, you can't see me. Genius. Thank God. I was just literally given a salute. Julie, I like it. Leakage. Coming up, with the earnings bar so low, are beats an all-clear for stocks? One top investor says, huh? Maybe not so fast. Please, the advisors, Peter Bookfar will join us next. Plus, is it time to get bullish? On the bullseye, Target shares topping the tape today, the trade on Target, coming up. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, we have got to take another look at shares of Netflix. Stock up 14% right now. They had pretty blowout earnings after the bell. They added more than twice as many subscribers as expected in the third quarter. I believe it was 2.41 million, if I remember right, Guy. If the gains hold tomorrow, that would be Netflix's best stock showing since January of 2001. By the way, Intuitive Surgical and United Air also rising after their earnings as is Adobe, which announced its growth strategy for next year. Now, all these move comes after broad gains in the regular session for the whole market. The S&P and Dow both up more than a percent. The S&P now up more than 6.5% setting multi-year lows on Thursday. And Tim, the transports, considered to be a leading indicator, up six of the past seven sessions. There's been a lot of kind of positive stuff happening in this market lately. Well, if you look at where we were also Pre-futures at the peak today, we we're up 8% off of that CPI intraday low. And, and a lot of this to me is uh, no one's ready to say that rates have peaked. No one's ready to say that the dollar has peaked. No one is ready to say uh, that we're not going to get more downgrades on growth. But we, we've endured a lot of pain. And if you look at some of the technicals in the market, that 3,600 level holding that was very important. And I think, uh, as we've said, there, there's between positioning, cash levels, and, and just sentiment right now, I think you've got an opportunity to, to trade this thing higher. I, I think the, the earnings that we're getting don't show a consumer that's dead. The bank CEOs gave us that reinforcement, even though they've given you slightly different uh, ways of expressing the consumer strength. But right now, third quarter earnings have been fine. It's interesting. I mean, last night we talked about tactically being long. We got a lot of blowbacks. You guys always bearish. But 
I'm still bearish. I mean, I still think there are tremendous headwinds facing us, but this is eerily reminiscent. We said it last night of the June 16th day when over the next month and a half, two months, the market rallied almost 19 percent. And I'm not suggesting a 19 percent move, but we could easily see another 8 to 10 percent from levels we're seeing right now, which I guess puts us right there. And then fall back to levels that I think we're going to get to, 3,400 in the S&P. You try to be tactical in what's a bear market, and we've said it a number of times. The largest, most severe rallies take place in bear markets, and I think we're in the midst of one And the now. VIX is still north of 30. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that's actually bullish if you're an equity investor here, because I think you've got markets that actually could see a little relief. Julie? Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, it's a lot of conflicting information, right, because sentiment is all-time terrible, you know, if you look in Europe, highest cash levels for portfolio managers. And so that is what gives me some confidence. Okay, I want to come back in. But at the end of the day, valuations are still kind of high. They're not at a place of of true capitulation. Markets are still extremely orderly. Um, So, you know, I'm not really at the place where I feel super bold up. I'm more interested in some higher quality names that got too expensive for me. But it's really hard to be super enthusiastic when valuations are still kind of high. Yeah. So guy says we could have a little pop before a pullback to 30, 3,400 Kimosabi. 3,400. Perfecto. But another 8 to 10 percent could come before that. All right. Let's get more on the move in stocks and rates and bring in Peter Vukvar, chief investment officer with Bleakley Financial Group, CNBC contributor, I guess. Peter, the, the stock market has got to be calmed down a little bit by the fact that rates have actually been a little calm also. Or maybe that's why the stock market has done it, because Finally, interest rates have kind of flattened out a little bit the last couple of weeks. Well, they're flattening out at the highest level we've seen in this move with a 10-year at 4, a 2-year at 440. I think a couple True, of things with the stock market. True, but they stopped going up was my le- point, at least for now. Yes, the trajectory, definitely. Uh, and we also got some calm in, in the gilt market, so that also provided some relief. Last Wednesday, we saw the investors' intelligence numbers that showed the bull bear spread at the widest, with the bears being above bulls, since March 2009. So we had two readings in the AAII of bears above 60. So we had really dour sentiment. We've tremendously lowered the earnings expectations bar. And there's death, there's taxes, and there's companies will beat estimates by 70 to 75% uh, in in total. And we're going to see that again. You lower guidance going into the quarter you beat those numbers. Now, revenue numbers, I think, will be really important to pay attention to, as is the guidance. But there's no doubt that companies are going to beat estimates at the same pace that they always do. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good quarter. It's a, it means that it's just better than the fears going in. I think we have to take a step back, look at earnings big picture. That trajectory is slowing. Okay, but, but you got to admit, Peter, that so far the numbers that we have seen have been pretty good. Well, relative to expectations, if you look at the bank numbers, the operating hasn't income been is down either, year over year. Right? Guidance hasn't been horrible either. We haven't had anybody come out and say, consumers off a cliff, nobody's on a plane. It hasn't been terrible. Right. Well, the banks, uh, their comments on the consumer are really living in a nominal world. You know, Bank America is saying that, that their credit card spending is up 10 percent, while inflation's up almost 10 percent. So I'm not sure how to... Uh, extrapolate much information there on a real basis. 
and it's really going to be what big cap tech says. It's really going to be the, the, the cyclical names that I think you're going to get a good gauge on uh, the earnings story. It's those companies that are doing business overseas that are going to have to tell us about the dollar. How well did they hedge it? What's going on in Europe? What's the situation in Asia? So there is a, a lot more to go in this earnings season. It's still going to be a landmine, even though so far, relative to expectations, yes, it's been a, a decent start. All right, Peter Bookfar, Bleakley Advisory. Peter, we always, you're on at 5 a.m., you're on at 5 p.m., and we always appreciate it. Peter Bookfar, thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. You know, Dan, I was, I was trying to find, I mean, listen, to, to Peter's point, some of the banks were a little bit more on the concerning side, but I was, you know, everybody, to Guy's point earlier, everybody's, all oh, you're all negative all the time. So far, what have you thought about the macro tone from the numbers and guidance that you have seen? You know, I've been doing this a long time, not as long as Guy, um, but I will tell you that, you know, you know, during earnings season, you know, you just can't get, like, like thrown around, man. It's just like, you know, one week the sentiment's going to be this. It was really negative heading into it. And then we have those bank earnings and these bank stocks rally 15%, and you just can't get all bulled up. You can't extrapolate that across everything, you know. And to me, a lot of it, as it goes sector by sector, it, it really does have to do relative to what expectations were heading into it. So I think the higher that some of these stocks rally into these results, I think the harder it gets coming out of it. And we'll see a very different tone, I think, at the end of earnings season. And the last thing I'll just say is like, you know what, man, we're not going to flip flop on this sort of stuff. I mean, I'm fairly well committed that we are going to break the lows that we just made late last week. We might see some air come out of this thing and then and, and and like kind of rally up to where Guy is suggesting. But at the end of the day, we haven't seen enough strategies lower their S&P earnings estimates for next year. That's really important as we get further into Q4. It just hasn't happened yet. And you tell me, is the S&P going to trough at 16 times or something like that? I just don't think it's going to. We've had it. We've had Tim, we've had a couple strategists drop, but they do it kind of quietly. Isn't that amazing? Ooh. They don't really come out with a big note saying, we was wrong. Drop. I mean, a few have, but... No, it, but not a lot. It, it, look, I think investors can do their work on this. I, I would just say what I am seeing is economists and folks that are targeting interest rates moving them higher. I, I rates, I don't think, have stopped going higher, and I think they're going higher. All right. Coming up, Tesla. Their earnings are on deck. The EV maker charging up to report tomorrow. So how are the options traders getting set up for that name? We're going to dive into the options action on Tesla, which may be one of the most important stocks in the world. Plus... Target, the retail stock jumping. Analysts weighing in on the supply chain and what the company and the stock are doing right. We're back in two minutes. All right, welcome back. The countdown to Tesla earnings, it's on. They report tomorrow after the bell. Now, it's been a rough month for the electric car maker, down 17%. And Citigroup reiterating its sell rating on Tesla this morning, saying macro concerns remain front and center. One trader in the options market seems to agree, making a big bet for more downside. Let's find out more about it with my co and the options action. Tesla options right now implying a move of a little over 8% by the end of the week. That's greater than the 5.5% that the company has averaged after the last eight reported quarters, although last quarter it moved about 10%. A lot of those bets are betting that the stock is going to move lower. The most active contracts were the October 220 puts. Those expire on Friday. We saw over 70,000 of those trading for $8.50 a contract. Buyers of those are betting that Tesla is going to trade below that by at least 8.5 bucks, down 4% or more by the end of the week. 
All right, Mike, thank you. Well, for more Options Action, be sure to turn in the full show as always, Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. All right, coming up, is Target a bullseye buy? Why analysts are throwing this retailer in their cart coming up. Plus, a winner, no matter what, Amazon Prime to keep climbing, even if the economy doesn't. So says your call of the day. That is next when we're back. All right, welcome back. Target topping the tape after a bullish call from Jefferies that sees the stock rallying nearly 18% from today's close. They're upgrading stock to a buy, saying despite inventory and inflation issues, Target is poised to outperform next year. Julie, are you buying this call? Uh, probably not. I mean, I, I would say that Target is probably like best house in a, in a rough neighborhood. I think, you know, the consumer is probably up for some major headwinds. It is one of the better managed retailers, and I think they're starting to see some real success with their in-store remodel. So it has potential, but no, I don't want too much retail exposure. Anyone here, a buyer of this call, a buyer and owner of Target? I'll play your reindeer game because that's what we do. Yeah, I think in earnings on November 16th, given what I think is going to happen in the broader market, given valuation, which has been compelling, uh, you buy it, but I think you pull the ripcord into it because I got to tell you, the last two quarters from Target have been an unmitigated, great word, disaster. Yeah, but relative to Walmart, and this is always fun to play these two against each other. So Target outperformed Walmart by probably 80% over uh, a nine-month period and is now Walmart outperforming Target by about 35%. I think you stay in this Walmart trade. I'm long Walmart. Uh, I think Target looks good, too, and it is the value play relative to Walmart. Can you own them both? Yeah. So it's like a would you Look, not we, rather. I, I, haven't we priced in inventory dynamics enough with these guys? I mean, I, and I, I, I don't think they're going to do this again. And, and I think that the supply chain dynamics coupled with everything else was a unique storm that I think is something that we're not going to see again by two of the most sophisticated retailers. Dan, what do you think of the call? Um, listen, I think that these guys are correct. I mean, we were talking about these inventory issues with, with downgrades to guidance, um, you know, in the late spring, right? And there was a couple massive gaps um, in these names. And, you know, at the start of this year, um, I know Walmart was showing really good relative strength as in interest rates were going higher. So to me, I, I don't think it's done yet. I, I do think that this is going to be a very dicey, to Julie's point, um, period, a holiday period for the consumer here. I think we'll know a lot less. But if you're dealing, or a lot more, obviously, if you're dealing with inventory issues, and we know that a lot of discounting is happening very early for the holidays. I just don't know how that ends up particularly well from a margin standpoint for a lot of these retailers. Yeah, they were buying. couldn't get anything, and they overbought. We'll see what happens with the inventory and, and margin pressure. Now to your call of the day. Amazon, it's higher. Of course, the whole market was up today. But Citigroup said it is a top pick regardless of what the economy does. The analysts there are saying if the Fed is able to engineer a soft landing, the engineer? Does the Fed engineer anything? Yes, anyway, they try. Increased sales of the consumer staples could benefit the company, but if not, Citigroup and their analysts still think that Amazon can maintain profitability in the event of a hard landing. Do you agree, Guy Adami? To a point, I'll say this. On a great tape, which we had seen into November of last year, Amazon did absolutely nothing for the 18-month period leading up to it. I mean, the stock was effectively sideways and really hasn't done all that much since. But if you think we're coming out of something, and if you think this market rally has legs, Amazon makes sense here, I believe, just on a number of different metrics, including, believe it or not, valuation. I am not one of those people. Amazon proved themselves to be pretty much... a, a 
a worthless stock in when the market was doing great, and I don't think it's all that much better now. Well, well what's worthless is probably the e-commerce business, and that's what we, and again, it's not worthless, but, but in fact, if you do a sum of the parts versus AWS, and AWS is really where you've accreted all the value, and I think that's the place that investors have actually been uh, a bit concerned, and, and they've given us not really that reason to be concerned yet on enterprise, but that's the place for investors. Like, I, I would make an argument that on e-commerce, uh, these comps that they've lapped, I mean, they're so far past the COVID pull forward for them. I think this is a fantastic place to own their e-commerce business because I agree with that Staples call. All right, there we go. Next up, anybody else? Dan, Julie, on Amazon? No? All right, next up. Go ahead. No, I mean, I I think I I completely agree with Tim. Tim's point, the real key of owning Amazon, it's it's about AWS. It's not really about the e-commerce business. And so anything they do is going to be incremental upside. Amazon Web Services. Julie, thank you very much. Up next, it is your final trade. He said. All right, let's take one last look, hopefully not ever, at Netflix. Could put in its best day since January of 2021. Other streamers like Roku, Disney, Paramount also jumping in the after hours. Dan, your thoughts on whether or not this can last? Uh, it probably doesn't last in Netflix. It probably has another 10% higher guy, like I thought. I think Disney could be kind of interesting, a little bit of a double, top, uh, double bottom there over the last couple months. All right. One more quick comment. We have unusual amounts of time in this final block <laughs> so due to my smooth. efficient yeah, so nature of anchoring television. Well, no, I mean, apparently we're too efficient. <laughs> I mean, Tim, let me just say, can I just say something to the people at home? I would never do something like I'm about to do. Mention the folks that you told us earlier in a commercial break that you were listening to Survivor on the way home last night, which is I would never do that to you because it's embarrassing. I think I called him a loser, which isn't nice. But, you know, (laughs) anyway. So do you want to talk about, do you have the eye of the tiger? You're looking at me with the eye of the tiger right now. Well, the search is over. I think I figured out exactly what's going on here. You, you, yeah, yeah. In the I, was high, I was high on you. It's time now for your final trade. Dan Nathan, save the show. Uh, I can't do that for you, Sully, but um, Spotify looking <laughs> kind of interesting. They report next week. I want to see one more gap lower, and then you buy it. Julie, don't, I know you have vital signs on cassette somewhere in your house. Final trade. <laughs> I, I like Ollie. I know I'm not usually a big fan of retail, but closeout I do like, and I think supply chain is going to be a favorable thing for them. Tim. Yeah, in, in my burning heart, I'll tell you what, I like Delta Airlines, and, and I look at these numbers by United. I think Delta improves upon that. I like you, Brian. I also like the quarter out of Lockheed Martin, LMT. There you go. Pretty good stuff. By the way, if you haven't listened to Vital Signs, check it out again tonight. Brian, Let me know what you think. Thanks for watching. Fast Money, everybody. Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.